everyone, it's Shekilola Salami and it's the Shekilola Salami Show. Um, I'm your host and I'm still at Capital Crime. It's London's first crime writing and thriller festival. Um, so I've got my next guest here today. It's been an amazing festival. Uh, so I thought I would bring you and get better insights to some of the best known um, authors in the crime genre. Um, and I always like for the guests to introduce themselves because I think they can do a better job of it than I can. So who have I got here with me today? Hi, I'm Mark Edwards and I write psychological thrillers. I always describe them as books in which scary things happen to ordinary people. So my best known books are The Magpies, Follow You Home, The Retreat and the new one's called Here to Stay. Um, and I'm lucky enough at the moment to make a full-time living as a, as a writer after about 15 years of trying. Awesome! Um, I finally managed to have some success which, so for, and for the last five years I've been doing this and making a living from it and supporting my family doing it as well so it's been great also you're one of the very few people who've been my show has been going on for three years now you know so it's really nice to see someone who's actually making a success and being able to live full-time off of their writing so that's quite interesting and i look forward to getting to know you know more about how yeah. you've been able to do that but normally the show is set in a virtual cafe, but then yes. we're sitting in a boardroom <laughs> at Capital Crime. Yeah. Um, so we're not really in a cafe. But if you were went to Starbucks, yeah. what would what would you normally have? Well, I um, I recently went vegan. Okay. I've been vegetarian for many years, thirty odd years, and I've but I've started drinking soya lattes or oat lattes. Hmm. So I would probably have that, and. Um, maybe one of their um, all-day breakfast burritos, which are quite nice, but not amazing. Okay. So, But I do love Starbucks, but I live in Wolverhampton, and the Starbucks there has just shut down. Oh so we don't have a Starbucks anymore. We've only got a Costa. Well, that's, that's, that's good <laughs> enough. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. And Cafe Nero, actually. Mm. But yeah, I used to do quite a lot of writing in Starbucks. And when I first used to do that, I used to feel like Carrie Bradshaw in Sex in the City. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there. It's kind of the dream, isn't it? Sitting yes. in a coffee shop with your laptop. Um, because when I, when I started... Well, actually, when I first went full-time, I didn't have an office in my house. Yeah. And I've got young children, and they hadn't started school yet at that point. So I used to have to go to cafes to write... And I would rotate between three or four different cafes <laughs> around Wolverhampton, and they kind of got to know me, the people who worked there, and so it's like I had three or four offices where I'd be brought coffee and and breakfast. And awesome, stuff. awesome. So you know, I'm just like you know, okay. So you live in Wolverhampton. How yeah. did you end up in London today? Um, well, I used to live in London, so I'm originally from Sussex. Okay, and then I lived in London and I met my wife here and then she um, was from Wolverhampton or is from Wolverhampton so and we moved up there and um, yeah I, I know Adam and David who organised this festival and they invited me to, to come and talk which was, which was, which was great, really enjoyed it. Awesome, okay so 
No, I'm just trying to, you know, just get all the things, you know, that's going on. So one of the things that's in my mind, right? And I think of myself as being a scaredy cat, right? I think that there are things in my head that should never be written down, right? right? And yeah. when I once, I attempted to write a horror novel, but... Yeah. The story scared me, right? Yeah, and I couldn't even right. put it out. So how do you then write scary novels? Like, I always have to ask this question yeah. because I, I scare myself. I don't really scare myself. There have been some things that I've written which, I, which were very dark and I felt kind of horrible and a little bit disturbed <laughs> afterwards. But most of the time, I don't feel emotionally affected by it. I'm just kind of concentrating on the on the craft of writing and trying to think what's going to scare the reader. Um, and I don't have supernatural things in my in okay. my books. It's always it's like the monsters live among us, psychopaths or people ah. who kind of try to ruin other people's lives. Ah. Horrible neighbors, in-laws from hell, ah, yes. jealous people. Um, so it's more it's psychological horror or uh, rather than supernatural horror. horror. Okay. There's no there's no ghosts or monsters <laughs> okay. because because I think like one of the characters says in one of my books is that the real monsters are the people who live next door. They're not that. There's, there's no such thing as vampires or or demons or ghosts. Yeah. It's, it's other people that you need to be scared of. Um, and people often say to me, "You seem like a very nice, normal person. How did you come up with? <laughs> how did you come up with this, this horrible, these horrible things?" And I've, but I've, I've just always had quite a dark imagination. Ever since when I was at primary school, I was writing little horror stories. And my parents got divorced when I was, I think I was eight or nine. Hmm. And my mum used to let me stay up late so to keep her company. And she used to fall asleep in the armchair. She hates it when I tell this story. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I used to stay up and watch Hammer House of Horror on TV. And oh, dear. Films like Death Wish. And she brought home James Herbert books from the library, like The Rats and things like that. And I used to read those. And, and um, I used to read a lot of comics as well, things like 2018. Mm. And I think all of that stuff um, just... Into my, into my imagination, and I was, a, I was, t I turned eleven or twelve, in the kind of video nasty era, so the early eighties, when mm. you could just go <laughs> around the corner to a video shop, and they would just let you rent anything. Yeah, like if you were a kid, they just let you take anything: American Wealth in London, or The Evil Dead. Or whatever. <laughs> I used to just take these films home and watch them. Me and all my friends did it. And that's probably why I'm such a weird, sick <laughs> individual. <laughs> Did you watch Chucky? Uh, Child's Play, yes. yeah. Um, yes, Child's Play. Yeah, but not till... I mean, I would have been 17 or 18 when that came out. Okay. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, seriously, I don't believe that watching those kind of films dis disturbs... Actually does affect you, but maybe it can trigger something in your imagination or the kind of stories that you like. Yeah. Because I'm always looking for that. I think as you get older, for me anyway, and I know a lot of people feel the same. You get, you find it harder to get to be scared or to be yeah. emotionally um, frightened by by things that you watch. So yeah. I'm always kind of searching for that that 
fear or that hit that you that you felt when you were when you were a kid? Yeah. Um, the last film I can that really scared me would have been um, probably the Blair Witch Project, and that yeah. was twenty years ago. So and and that was things like that. I, I, I find inspirational. I love I love any story where where a bunch of people go into the woods <laughs> and then into the dark woods and then they start getting picked off one by one. That is just my ideal genre. Mm. I love things where people go on like a trip, yeah, into the wilderness mm. or um, or they go camping or they go up a mountain or down into a cave and yeah. there's something in there that's going to get. Gonna get They're them. just chopping all of them off one by yeah, one. Yeah, I love that. I just love anything like that. Also, so when did you, you know, you've had all this inspiration that sort of sparked your creative juices when you were a child. Yeah. So when did you decide, when did you think, oh, you know what? I think people would like to know about all the crazies in my head. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. well, I mean, because I was always a big reader and when I was as a teenager and then when I was a student and I used to write a lot when I was at school I think I even tried to write a novel when I was 16 and it was absolutely appalling Mm. Um, and then when I left university um, I thought okay I'm going to try and write a novel and I mean I wrote it all longhand in in several notebooks the first one I wrote I knew it wasn't very good so I didn't even bother to type it up. Yeah. But then I thought I, c- I can get better at this and, and wrote another one. Yeah. Um, but I think when I started, I actually wasn't, I didn't really know what kind of writer I yeah. wanted to be. And I didn't actually become, I didn't get anywhere, I didn't get an agent or become successful until I figured out the kind of stories that I wanted to tell and what genre they fitted into yeah um and i think that's a really important uh, lesson for any aspiring writer yeah is that people will often say to me oh well, i've written this book and it's it's a little bit of this and it's a little bit of that but immediately if you try and sit, get an agent with that or try and sell it to a publisher get a deal with a publisher they're going to come back to you and say well we can't see exactly where this fits in the market or which authors yeah. you're going to be sitting next to on the on the bookshelves yeah um so that i mean one of my tips for for any aspiring writer is know exactly where your book fits and which authors you're like and i think people often think often like to think that they're unique yes. or that they have a unique vision and yes. they're not like anybody else yes and maybe there are a few geniuses out there like that, but most people will fit into um, a category or a genre. And I think getting to know where, or knowing where you fit and having a kind of mission statement for the kind of books that you want to write is really helpful. Yeah. So what helped you get your thinking process isn't decide oh this is the genre I want to go for what helped well it was it was lots of experimentation really I I mean I wrote I'd probably written four novels before I got an agent yeah I mean I was writing all through the 90s um, when I was in my 20s and I was writing stuff and submitting it to agents and all my books are very different to each other like one was a comedy one was more of a thriller one was 
just um, more of a psychological horror. One was like literary fiction. And um, I was chopping and changing between all these genres, but the one thing that united them all was that there was always lots of murders in them. Yeah. And, and, um, and I think that I figured out then, from the, from the stuff that I was really enjoying, reading and writing, yeah. what kind of books I should, be, I should be concentrating on. And also the kind of reactions I was getting back from, from agents, the yeah. stuff that they reacted to. Okay. So how did you get your first agent? Because most times when authors start off, you know, they don't know what it is. Like you said, you know, yeah. they think we all, we all think that we're unique and, you know, like why wouldn't everybody want to read our books? But then when you're sort of getting your thinking processes together, when you're figuring out, okay, well, this is what I want to do. How did you get your first agent? Um, well, this was in the 90s. So it was back then, all you had was the Writers and Artists Yearbook. Yeah. And um, there wasn't even any internet when I started. Okay. <laughs> it was like early okay. nine, early nineties. Yeah. So you couldn't research people online. Mm. I mean, that changed in the first over the first few years. By the time I got an agent, there was the internet did exist, and I did have email. And and um, although hardly any literary agencies even had websites at that time. Yeah. There was no Twitter where you could kind of connect with with agents yeah. and and see what they would tweeting about and and um, kind of finding out what sort of books they were looking for. Yeah. So I would just go through the acknowledgements pages of the authors that I liked or who I thought were similar to me yeah. and see who their agents were. And then I would um, write to those agents and often say, I would mention in the letter that I liked this particular author that they represented yeah. and I thought I was in a similar bracket to them or something and I think that helps because it shows the agent that you've done your research yeah. and it tells them again what kind of what kind of author you are yeah I got my first agent in 1998 I think it was Oh, wow. Yeah. That was like, what, 21 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Wow, and you've been at this a long time. Yeah, and, um, yeah, like I said, there was hardly any internet back then. Hmm. And um, and she took me on with this book that I'd written and told me that she was definitely going to sell it and I was probably going to get a really good deal and I was convinced it was all going to happen. I'd, hmm. I'd already been writing for a few years at that point. Yeah. And nothing did happen. She wasn't able to sell it to any publishers. Hmm. Then I wrote another book. She didn't, couldn't sell that one either. And then I wrote another one. So I wrote three or four novels when I was with her. None of them got published. And then she, she basically dumped me. Um, this was in the early noughties. Yeah. The early 2000s. Um, then I... Um, teamed up with another writer called Louise Voss. Yeah. I was actually on this TV show about aspiring writers that the BBC made where okay. they, they filmed a few writers. One of them was, had just had his first book published, uh, Jay Carnett it was. Um, and then there was me with my agent um, and they tried to make the submissions process look 
look cool and sexy, which it really isn't. <laughs> and they filmed me kind of wandering around looking a bit sad and getting phone calls from agents saying, I'm really sorry, but Penguin have turned down this book. Um, but the good thing that came from that programme was that I met this other writer called Louise Voss, who was in the same boat as me. Mm. We then teamed up and started writing books together. Okay. Um, and one of those books, which is called Killing Cupid, which we wrote in 2002, actually got optioned by the BBC because she knew somebody who worked in BBC drama and they, they bought the rights to the book. Awesome. But we still couldn't get a publisher for it. And then the TV thing never happened. Mm. That all fell apart, as they usually do. Then Louise and I wrote another book a few years after that, 2006, 2007. We, um, she, by this point, because she'd had an agent, but she... We'd both had, neither of us had an agent at this point. Um, so we tried to find an agent for this, this book, which is called Catch Your Death, which was like a, a kind of a fast-paced virus, mm. a kind of Dan Brown-style thriller. We tried yeah. to write something as commercial as we could. Yeah. Um, and again, we couldn't find, couldn't get an agent. And I, I basically gave up at that point, And I thought... What year was this? 2006 or 7 okay so I was in my mid 30s by then and um, yeah I just felt like I've been doing this for so long I've been trying yeah. I've spent so many hours of my life I've yeah. given up so many weekends yeah. and evenings to, to trying to achieve this dream of being a writer and it hadn't hadn't happened I kept kind of coming close and never quite getting the deal yeah um, and so, and I had a I had a good job by this point. I was starting to have kids. Yeah. And um, so I just I just thought it's not worth it's not worth the pain. I'm going to mm. give up. So what happened next was that in 2010, Amazon released the Kindle in the UK. Yeah. And my wife, or well she's now my wife, bought me a Kindle for my birthday, my 40th birthday. Awesome. And I started re reading about these authors who were self-publishing through KDP in America yeah. and having success. So I said to Louise, why don't we take these two books we wrote together, mm. update them, because they were, really out, they were really out of date by this point, because there was no social media in them, and everyone yeah. was smoking inside pubs, and <laughs> nobody had a mobile phone, <laughs> yeah. and all this, this, this stuff that um, needed, needed to be refreshed. And we self-published them, and to cut a very long story short, they both sold really well and got to number one and number two on Amazon. Wow. In the UK. And then some, we were the first self-published authors in the UK who were like fully independent and unknown to get to number one. Awesome. And um, suddenly we had agents who turned us down. Now seeking you. Yeah. Wow. And within a few weeks, we had a four-book deal with HarperCollins. So... <laughs> well done! So, but then that's actually only the beginning of the story because... Uh, or the, that's kind of like... The very, there's a very long chapter one of my story. Wow. <laughs> chapter, two, chapter two with me that then HarperCollins republished those books. Mm-hmm. They took over the rights, we sold them the rights, and we wrote two more books for them. And those books didn't sell. Oh, okay. And they, 
they buy book three, they'd pretty much given up on us and the books weren't in any shops and it was really depressing actually and I'd given up, I'd taken that gamble of giving up my day job okay. um, and moving out of London to Wolverhampton where I live now because it was the only, I couldn't afford to buy a house in London so, and my wife's from up there so we moved there yeah. um, and I was, in, I was in really dire straits, I was completely broke, I had maxed out my credit card, my overdraft I had a huge tax bill that I hadn't paid, um, so I had HMRC breathing down my neck. Oh dear! I had my pro- my wife is pregnant, mm. and um, yeah, it was terrible. And and my my kind of dream, my writing dream again, appeared to be completely shattered after I had all this fantastic success like a year before self publishing. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's, it's just all gone horribly wrong. Mm. So I had this book called The Magpies, which I'd actually written years before, mm. which is about neighbours from hell. And I said to Louise, right, I'm going to see if I can do it again. I'm going to self-publish this book. Again, it had to be rewritten. It was all out of date. Louise helped me edit it. And I put it on Amazon and... It got to number one, and so after all of that, <laughs> after, and, and it's now that book. So my, when I published that book, my aim, I thought if I can sell twenty thousand copies, which is, I mean, as you know, is really hard anyway. Yeah. If I can sell twenty thousand copies at one ninety nine and get the seventy percent royalty, yeah, that would pay my tax bill. Yeah. And kind of keep my head above water. Yeah. It's now sold five hundred and fifty thousand copies. Whoa! So it makes so I was ebook there, copies or paperback? E- mostly ebooks, mostly ebooks. <laughs> well done! Most people dream for those sort of numbers. I know, and that's not even my biggest selling book because one of my subsequent books, Folly Home, has sold even more than that. They've sold, I've sold three million books now overall in the last few years, and had like nine number ones. It's just been absolutely crazy. So after all these years of getting nowhere and just writing and writing and then giving up and then thinking, okay, I'll give it another shot. Yeah. And then it all, and then it having success and then it all going wrong again. Touch wood. I am literally touching wood as I say this. Yes. I um, I, for the last five years or five and a half years, I've been, I've been making a living doing it. I've been successful all of my books have done have done well. Yeah. And I'm not so I'm not self-published anymore. I self-published The Magpies and then that led to a deal with Thomas Somerset, which is one of Amazon's okay. imprints. And they've just been fantastic. They've really looked after me. They know how to sell books. Hmm. They're exactly the same as any other publisher in in the way that they do the edit the editorial stuff and and PR and, mm. and everything. My books aren't in any bookshops. So my ninety nine percent of my sales are on Amazon. Um, but that's fine. I mean, Amazon's the world's biggest bookshop, and being prominent in the world's biggest bookshop is is it's good not enough. A so thing, yeah. I think it was sort of just finding the right relationship, right? Yeah, so yeah. the other platforms that you had approached, they just were not 
the right partners for you. Yeah. So that's why the first time you went on Amazon, boom, it got yeah. you to where you wanted to be. Yeah. Then you divorced Amazon, went somewhere else. <laughs> that relationship didn't go, and it was like, yeah. yes, we're not a good fit. Yeah. Then you went back to your first love, Amazon. Yeah. And boom. I've never thought of it like that before. <laughs> you know, so Amazon yeah. and you are a good relationship. Exactly. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's worked. It's worked out. It's worked out brilliantly, and um, I, I, I this festival has been really good actually because I keep meeting lots of readers here who've read my books, and I did a panel yesterday with mm. Lisa Jewell who, has, I mean, God, in 1999 or something when her first book came out, that was when I was really struggling and trying to get an agent, and I remember reading her story about how she got her agent back then and buying her first book. And then here I am 20 years later being on a panel with her and being on a kind of equal billing with her, which, so, which, is, which has just been... It's amazing. Amazing, yeah. So what I'm curious about, right, so when you first had your first relationship with Amazon yeah. and, you know, somehow you just shot to number one, did you, other than publishing your book on Amazon, yeah. what else did you do to get visibility to your book okay well that yeah that's the that's the that's the hard part isn't it because what i mainly because because when you self-publish why should anybody care yes. that you that you you published a book i remember telling people about it when i first self-published yeah and they kind of looked at me with a sort of Oh, that's nice. That's nice, dear. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of... Like, they just don't take you seriously. And mm. um, But what I did was I used, I used blogging. I did loads and loads of blogging. And I thought there are people out there who are happy to read self-published thrillers um, who want to try new authors. How can I find those people? Yeah. So what I did was I did a lot of networking with other self-published writers, thriller writers, the the successful ones. Mm. This makes it sound like I was a bit of a mercenary, but it was something that I just enjoyed anyway, so re- re- meeting other authors and, and talking to them. And I thought we can all kind of help each other. So we did a lot, we all kind of did guest posts on each other's blogs okay. and Q&As and... Um, so I set up a blog and I interviewed lots of other writers and I knew that if I then um, published that blog post then they would tweet about it and they would yes. send it out to their audience and that would bring people to my website and then hopefully people would then see yeah. my book. And so I, I just did lots of that. But then also I made sure that the book looked as professional as possible that the cover looked professional yeah i spent a lot of time working on the the description mm-hmm. and tweaking it so i was constantly tweaking it and i actually and i i don't i've actually lost the two examples but one change that i made to my description sales immediately doubled Really? Yeah, because you know on KDP you can see the sales coming in. Yes. So one day I rewrote the description. I, I basically made it shorter and, and punchier. Mm. And as, as soon as I did that, sales shot up and it started going up the charts. And um, So can I just ask, how did you... Because 
authors in myself inclusive you know it's you can write your characters and do all of those things about because that's the really easy bit but then when you then have to think about it from a business point of view and think okay well how are you going to do this so that it grabs more people attention because i'm on goodreads and sometimes you know i will see authors you know say well what do you think about my book synopsis you know how did you make yours very punchy that you know grabbed people's attention. I just studied, well, I looked at the top 10, I looked at the other books in the, that were selling, and particularly debuts, so they weren't people who were just buying the author, they were actually looking at the description. Yeah. Um, and, and I was just kind of trying to work out which of those books, what, 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 was, what was it about those books that were really compelling that made you want to read them? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and it's something to do with intrigue. You've got to make it as intriguing as possible. So you just give a little bit of what happens at the start of the story, and then you, people, you've got to try and make people desperate to know what happened next. And um, yeah, so that's what I've, I've always tried to do. I mean, I still, even with my books that have been published by Thomas Mercer, I've written a lot of the descriptions as well because. I kind of think that I know what, what it is about the book, about the premise mm. that is going to appeal to people. Yeah. So, um, and also getting quotes. I, I got quotes from bloggers and other authors, and so having review quotes, I think. Yeah. Did you publish well. the quotes on Amazon or on your web, on your blog? On, the, on both. Okay. But yeah, on Amazon is the most important place because that's where the readers are and where they're looking. So. Yeah, I, I don't know how much people really take notice of quotes. I think that a lot of readers are suspicious and think that it's just mates doing a favour for each other, mm. which often, <laughs> quite often it is. Yeah. I mean, most blurbs that people get tend to be from people that they know. Um, but but I, I also, especially if you've got like a, a quote from a respected blog or mm. a newspaper or whatever... Could even just be your local newspaper. Yeah. Then um, that can that can help to make a difference. Yeah. And the cover as well. The cover is really important because the cover has to tell people at a glance. Yeah. What kind of book it is. Yeah. So the magpies. If you go onto Amazon now and look up the magpies, you'll the cover is the same as it was when it was self-published. They didn't change it. Okay. And my sister-in-law designed it for me. So I befriended this photographer who gave me her photo for free. Yeah. And then my sister-in-law, who's a graphic designer, did the, did the, the lettering and everything. And um, the cover doesn't actually really reflect anything that happens in the book. Yeah. Because it's like a woman lying in some woods. <laughs> and... Um, but it tells you it's a psychological thriller. It tells you it's dark and that it's yeah. creepy. But the book was actually set in a flat in, in London. Um, so I but, I... but I thought that all you've got to do is kind of co- conjure up the atmosphere of the book with the cover and tell people what the genre is. Yeah. Right psychological thrillers, wintry trees. <laughs> you yeah. can never go wrong with some bare, wintry trees. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Okay, so just to summarise, because we've come to that time, you know, where we're going to have to say bye to you. And it's really been amazing, you know, chatting with you. But, you know, the things that I've 
taken away from our conversation is that it kind of reminds me, and I think it was it Will Smith who said this, that success is when preparation and opportunity, you know, meets themselves. Mm, yeah. And I think most of your success is basically you were prepared, but then when the opportunity with Amazon came, yeah. that's, you know, it was the great, it was the best relationship yeah, um, yeah. for you. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the things I've taken away. I've taken away that you shouldn't quit. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. when you've put in all that work and you just quit, well, yeah. quitting is the easiest way to failure. Yeah. So, you know, exactly, always yeah. always persevere. So I, that's the, those are the two things that I've yeah. taken away from... Although having said that, if you're making yourself miserable doing it, <sighs> then you have to question whether um, it's the right thing for you. You know, like you see people go on the X Factor yeah. and they go up and Simon Cowell says to them, look, I think you should kind of just concentrate on something that's actually going to make you happy. Yeah. Don't keep, you don't need to keep pursuing this dream because it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah. Some, I think that sometimes that um, if something's making you really unhappy, which this was for me in the mid... 2000s I needed to take that break from it yeah I mean I did come back to it obviously um, and but I wouldn't have that that I wouldn't have done if self-publishing hadn't yeah. come along so it was kind of, there was a bit of luck and good timing involved in that as well yeah but yeah I think that after I'd had that initial initial success and then it went wrong that was the point at which it would have been very easy for me to quit, but I, re- I refused to. I was absolutely determined yeah. to, to make it work. So, um, because I'd kind of... I knew that I'd... I knew I'd, I'd seen that there was an audience for my work and that, yeah. that there were people out there who liked my books and it was just getting back in front of those people... And, and that was why I refused to, to give up again because I knew that there was an audience out there. Yeah. Whereas before, I was never really sure whether that audience existed I, and I yeah. just had to have faith in myself. Awesome. Okay, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. If any of the listeners wanted to connect with you, how did they do that? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter. I M R Edwards. It looks like Mr. Edwards, but because <laughs> my middle initial is R, yeah. <laughs> which I didn't think of when I set my Twitter account up. So M R Edwards, um, or you can find me um, on Facebook. My on uh, Mark Edwards books. Okay. Um, and my website is markedwardsauthor.com, and there's a contact form on there as well, so you can get okay. in touch. Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure and hopefully yeah. sometime soon in the future you'll consider coming back, you know, yeah, on the show. Yeah, I mean I feel like I only talked about a fraction of things I could have talked about. I know, right? Like, <laughs> so, you know, it would be awesome to just be yeah. able to get, you know, more insight into the different things yeah, you know yeah. that you've learned. Yeah. So yes, it would be it would be great to have you back. Okay, well thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well everyone, it's the Shegulola Salami show. Um hope to catch you again next week. Bye now.